0: This episode of Instant Speed Podcast is brought to you by Kfabe Cards. Located in Utah, Kfabe Cards is a smart choice for all of your flesh and blood needs. Prepare for the battles you'll face through the world of Wraith by gearing up at KayfabeCards.com. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E-C-A-R-D-S dot com and get all of the cards shipped directly to your door. Hey, if magic or Pokemon is your jam, they've got you covered. K-Fabe Cards has a plethora of TCG options, sealed products, and singles to keep you collecting and keep you competitive. Kfabe Cards, be who you want to be. This is the Instant Speed Podcast, episode number sixty-nine. Nice, that was an easy one. I had to do it, and of course, this is always brought to you by Kayfabe Cards. Our guest today, Mitch Uber Leslie, and he has got some fire to spit. We're gonna be talking about all kinds of stuff, not just the calling. But man, do we go off the rails, especially when you're getting to have a nice discussion with a good friend of yours. You typically do a lot of tangential exploration and that's all i'll say but let's hit the headlines baby i just got back from indianapolis and the the whole experience was awesome it was the first calling i ever played in from a cc standpoint and i got booted around the entire time, but I did have a good time. I finished 3 and 4, and it ended on quite the spectacular takedown by one bravo, but it was a lot of fun nonetheless, and it was taken down by who else, but the angel of death, Michael Hamilton. He has won again on Icelander. He wins the whole damn thing, and uh, our boy at kfabe cards, actually, uh, that would be Majin Bay, finished in the top 4, so that's pretty wicked cool. We're repping it here today because the back Battle Hardened was won by Peter Budensik on Kano, another KFABE cards. Now, who are these people? If you want to hear more about how KFABE cards does their thing, they were on last week's episode, on episode 68. Peter Budensik, Battle Hardened winner, Majin Bay, top 4 guy. Well, they were on last week's episode, but this week we've got more to talk about. Uh some more spoilers have come out regarding more of Outsiders. Some of the cards were actually physically available in Indianapolis. I got to hold some of them. Things like frailty tokens, things like ponder tokens, all kinds of cool little aspects were on display for you to get your grubby little mitts on and actually see what is coming down the pipe with Outsiders. Of course, Outsiders is still ways away. It's like 6 to 7 weeks away. Nonetheless, it's nice to see that spoiler season has kind of had a little bit of a soft launch up until then. Cool story. I will be at the Battle Hardened in Charlotte. That is going to be happening, I believe, the first weekend of March. I will be there. I will be playing. I will not be playing Oldham because I am sick of playing Oldham. We're going to try something new. There's a lot of content that is hidden behind our little Patreon. So uh, if you do want to support the channel, you can go check out patreon.com slash instant speed pod for as little as a dollar a month. You can support my content at instant speed. It means so much to me, but it's not just about throwing a little extra couple bucks my way. There's some actual good stuff there. You have my flake blog where I write uh, an article or two a week, breaking down some of the decks I'm playing, some of the things I'm feeling, a little bit of the musings that go on in my mind that I can't necessarily always Talk about on the podcast because, uh, you know, it's a jungle up here and we got to go throw those monkeys a banana now and then to keep them all sorted. Now, beyond that, well, what else can you get there? How about the podcast ad free and the go again segment? The go again segment with Uber is It gets pretty fiery. We do not hold back. So you guys got to check that out again. Check out the Patreon. Uh, Goliath Gauntlet 2 is also going down this weekend. Uh, The semifinals are underway. The players are going to be operating under the bands. That's the way it's going to go. So new decks, new opportunities, and some really great players. Our guest, of course, is Uber, a.k.a. Mitch Leslie, and he joins us on Instant Speed. ISP is proudly supported by BCW Supplies. Yeah, all my cards, they fit snugly into a perfect flit, and then we slide them right into an Elite 2 Sleeve. Those cards, hey, well, they're resting easy and protected in my Deck Vault 100. Ooh, it's a nice one. Well, all of my spiciest gems. Well, they're on display in my Z Folio LX. Yeah, you could treat your collection with love by going to bcwsupplies.com. Use the code ISP10. Get 10% off all of your orders. Oh, yeah. And, uh, hey, maybe cards might not be your only thing. Are you into coins? Comics? Maybe you want to show off your record collection? They've got you covered. Use the code ISP10 at checkout for 10% off your BCW Supplies purchases. BCW Supplies. Protect. Store. Display. The Insta Speed Podcast welcomes back one of our favorite guests. That would be Mitch Uber Leslie, who now I think I can call you a flesh and blood caster. Like is Overwatch League just kind of your side bitch now? Like
1: how do you yeah. say it? Well, here's the question. Do I have to get paid to do flesh and blood to call myself a flesh and blood caster? Or does it count that I do it on site? Because I don't think I've taken a dime to do fab casting, but it's taken up most of my time in like the last three months, at least casting wise.
0: Well, I mean, I was going to say, ask the people in call, <laughs> the calling in Indianapolis.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Oh my goodness. We're already off the rails. Yeah, we're um, all off
0: the rails. Um,
1: uh, yes, but look, I mean, I Overwatch League probably doesn't kick up for another like couple months. I've actually you know, just started negotiating with them, uh, making sure I can build some time in, in that calendar for some flesh and blood fun this year. So um, looking forward to, to 2023. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I'm curious to see like, what coverage for for flesh and blood looks like, and how you know myself and and, and you and, and the gang uh, will have a chance or or maybe not to get involved, but yeah, uh, hopefully I can sink my teeth into some more of this game because I think outsiders coming is is just gonna make it that much more fun to jump in the booth.
0: But this is episode sixty nine, and I made sure that you were penciled nice. in for this one. That is nice. That is nice. Uh, you're 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 kind of part of the fold now. I don't know how else to explain it, but I mean, you were. You know the if not not just one of but probably the originating mind you know brain spark that uh, sort of birthed what Goliath Gauntlet is right now uh, you know between yourself me Tannen you you were in my opinion I think the just sort of the the motivating force you were the one who had the uh, the epiphany of what this could be so I think that your thumbprint or your fingerprint on flesh and blood in itself might not be felt by a lot of people but for those who are unaware, Mitch Leslie is probably the godfather of the Goliath gauntlet. So that's a pretty big deal, I think.
1: Uh, I mean, yes and no. Like, I I, I guess the initial idea was one that I came up with, but like, I can't take credit for it. I think like just having worked in like some esports scenes in the past, the first thought I had was like, how can we esportsify flesh and blood? Now That kind of has a negative connotation these days, I guess. But I kind of wanted to like, Think about how stars are built in, in 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 competitive titles, and like look at flesh and blood and say, hey, like we have some prospective superstars here. Some that are writing their own stories, some that are you know particularly popular because of the content they create or something else. How do we like get alongside that? How do we amplify that? And how do we kind of create these like dream fantasy matchups that like because of variance or because it's such a competitive scene, you might not always see. Uh, you know, let's bring some top players in. And and look, I think that was very, yeah, sure. It was just a spark, but like a lot of legwork, obviously from yourself, Tannen and and of course, Mark over at 983 media. So I won't take credit for it, but uh, you know, it's just something that I personally wanted to see. And I'm fortunate that uh, I'm not the only one.
0: Oh, I wanted to show you this actually. Check out this bad boy. You see this?
1: Ah, yeah, I love that from Card Culture, right? Big shout out to the Card cult- Guys.
0: Yeah, Card Guys and Card Culture apparel, uh, they hooked me up. They, they they were very kind enough. They met they basically reached out to me. They said, "Hey, Flake, uh we want to make a Lumina go boom in a shirt, uh, you know, with your permission or whatever." I like, dude, My permission. Like, you go for it. Like, that is are you kidding me? That is a, a quite the uh, you know, it's kind of a little feather in my cap in that case. If my legacy is merely that one call that I made in France, then so be it. It's. it's I can tell one. you
1: Josh has taken to that line uh, with alacrity, big fan of it. Uh, he has quoted it to, to me multiple times. So, uh, and that's just me. So who knows about well, the rest of the folks. So
0: so go check it out friends. If you want to, you can get yourself a Lumina go boom shirt at the card, uh, card, uh, card culture apparel. They're great people. They sent me this as a thank you for, um, I guess uh, it's weird to say allowing them to use it. I don't think like that was the case. They just wanted to make sure that I was cool with it. And they also quoted it's a
1: collaboration. You know, you you had the the creative inspiration. They're the one that, that embodied it. They they put it into a, you know manifestation, mate.
0: It was it's an embodiment of shirt uh, tokens yeah. that we've created, <laughs> which I like it. So all right, let's let's move along here and talk a little bit about the calling. You watched a bunch of it as well. I was there. Yeah. I played in it, and I think the story of it. And we'll get to Hamilton. And I also want to talk to you about quite the meme that birthed itself in a car driven by Carolina Alvarado. That was okay. it was myself, uh, Jacob Bertrand uh, of
1: mm-hmm. shout out Jacob, yep.
0: Jacob, a great person. He, Love his work. Yeah, I have another whole story. This this weekend's all stories, and you're you're not you haven't heard a lot of them. So I'm glad that we're gonna sort of peel back the curtain on these. But the big story here. Uber is the fact that Ice Heroes kind of dominated again. I think it was something like five to, two Icelanders, and a Briar made the top eight. And yep. what is interesting to me is the fact that the conversation on this podcast and amidst the whole world was that people would have discussions about. The meta being so wide open about how ProQuest season had so many different winners. The top eights were all different. I remember casting at Min Max Games where the top eight was eight different heroes. It was yep. it felt like you're kind of in a wonderland where anything could happen, but ultimately smarter minds. And I know that um some of those minds, people within, you know, our our kind of group of of people that discuss about the game said that, dude, this is it's just an il- yeah. yeah. This is an illusion that this is not actually the reality. Once the big tournaments happen, you're gonna see it's gonna be an ice fiesta and lo and behold, yeah. the major battle hardens the the calling again, dominated by ice heroes. I want to ask if if it is to you and your in your assumption sorry in your assessment, is ice inherently just too good as as a concept or you know and it's and as it's applied to this game?
1: Um, yes, I think because there are, you know, because of things like prism, not really existing right. Um, now I'm not asking us to go back to an era like that, but decks that can sort of win the long game and have a sense of inevitability are, are very, very powerful because blocking is quite strong and quite efficient in flesh and blood. I think we got to see that a lot through the top eight. Um, combine that with, you know, Icelanders again, sort of persistent ability to present split sources of damage. Um, something that we knew was very challenging, even going back to like Lightning Briar and trying to deal with like Ball Lightning and Rosetta Thorn. And, you know, um, really, you can lose that matchup in deck building sometimes uh, when you sort of come in. The fact Icelander had a 50% conversion to day two, 50%. In fact, like it, what is kind of wild to me is that not many Icelander decks were bought in. Out of 491 players, only twenty-six players brought Icelander and half of them converted to day two. Thirteen of those went to day two. Altim well had like a thirty percent uh conversion. I think like nine out of thirty uh decks sort of made it through. So that's that's mental to me. Absolutely bonkers. It is mental.
0: And but I I think what's fascinating about that number is that the conversion rate's so high. Obviously the deck is good because it keeps winning tournaments. I yeah. think that there's um, – part of this is the fact that Wizard inherently has a very high skill floor uh, for a lot of players to get into because you can't just pick up a list. And this is what really bothers me, and I want to actually give a shout-out to the most ridiculous tweet of the week um, that was replied <laughs> to me because I made a tweet today saying – just like I just said, just be happy Majin Bay has to focus on Runeterra now and then. Otherwise, it would be a Hamilton-Majin finals from now until one of them misses a flight. Um And then somebody, somebody replied, I don't know if they're trolling, but if you're not trolling, you're an absolute idiot. Uh, And I'm happy to say that because the reply I got was it's overrated. Majin just copied uh, Hamilton's list.
1: Okay. Have they seen the Goliath gauntlet one?
0: Oh, this is my reply. I was like, dude, I'm pretty sure thousands of people copy Michael Hamilton's list, but none of them make day two of a calling, let alone a top four, let alone win a Goliath gauntlet while beating Michael Hamilton along the way. So I think that when it comes to this ice list, this specifically Icelander, the conversion rate is so high, which you'd think that, okay, like this deck keeps winning, it won worlds, it won US Nats, it wins all kinds of tournaments. Obviously it's the best deck in the world, but I think that people don't play it because it's absolutely intimidating to play.
1: I also think that um, this calling data is a good example of like how people's perceptions of what a metagame looks like shifts a lot. I will say that in Europe, people don't fuck around. All right, well, we, We've seen uh, we've seen like the ProQuests and stuff. A lot of ProQuest data out right here in the United States. And it's very varied, right? Like Dorinthia won like 20 of them. I was following that quite closely. In Europe, uh, a good example, like the ProQuest in Leeds, I think it was. That, I think it, that it doubles a battle harder. It was a very large event. There was no messing about. That top eight was Iceland and Oldham only. You know what I mean? I see in Europe, like people spike super hard out of Europe. And I think in the United States, people still just really want to play their pet deck or really want to play what they think sort of works. But when you start to so you get this data, right? From we get ProQuest data. Here's the breakdown, here's conversions, here's you know how many wins. That information isn't is not as relevant when looking at a meta, I think, because frankly at ProQuest, people can walk in there and just play what they want and still win. The the comp the competitiveness of those ProQuests is extremely variable. And also like the numbers, the conditions in which they're held. So like and people probably looked at that data and probably took it quite seriously, thinking, okay, this really, you know, is what we're dealing with. But it wasn't until the calling... I think the only, like, ProQuest, which is data that I take seriously, was the one that Fred Bird won. Uh, I think, yeah, th- this one I'm talking about in Leeds. But then the calling is a pretty good example of, like, hey, look at this conversion data. Oldham and Iceland have, like, double the conversion of basically any other deck. Azalea as well as an outlier, I think, at 40%. But I think one of those players was Levi Ralph." so... You know, you can, you can sort of make your own conclusions about that. And, of course, Briar at 34%, which we kind of knew. So um, it, sh- it should be a pretty stark indicator that out of 26 Icelanders, 13 made it through. Ice is still extremely powerful. Just on virtue of the way it taxes opponents and strips their agency away and blocks really efficiently every turn cycle. And you can say the same for Oldham, right? That is scary. And we see these hyper-fatigue decks, like... They are very, very hard to beat. We saw Nathan Crawford beat one of them on stream with a, a rights of replenish, Replenishment loop in his briar, but he lost to another Fatigue Oldham later. So it, that is a very, very, very challenging matchup to, to win. It's very powerful. think Fatigue is a very effective strategy uh, alongside these sort of ice tax effects in Flesh and Blood.
0: Icelander players have this... It's like they're wired differently, and they're just wizard players, frankly. I don't think it's just Icelander players because uh people like majin bay who started out on kano and then yep. went to icelander just because it's inherently the better deck in my opinion but yes. when you're talking about these fatigue lists I, I i spoke to charles dunn at the tournament we just had like some time and he walked by i said hey flake how's it going you know how's your oldum thing going and i'm like oh i was getting the piss beaten out of me but it it, it it was what it was but he's like dude he's like check and i asked him i said so how's how's bravo treating you he's like i'm not on bravo he's like i'm on this uh oldum list and he showed me the list and i'm just like Wheeling through it, and I'm like, "All right, de react, blue pitch, blue pitch, blue pitch. Oh, crippling crush. Okay, life gain, life gain, de blue pitch, blue pitch, de react, Oh, okay, uh, pulverized." And I asked him, I said, "What the hell is this?" I said, "This is this seems like quite a slog." He's like, "Yeah, basically, it's a lot of blocking." And by the time that I f- send my first attack, I'm usually at about fifty five to fifty eight life. I said, "You madman?" And there's like a remembrance. Your
1: patience is is effed up, by the way. Another, like, another easy life gain card. Uh, it, like, pops the next turn, gives you three life. It's yeah. It's another tool that fatigue uh, strategies now have.
0: It's, it's gross, but you're talking about, like, you know, fatigue uh, and discussing the meta in general, but, like, how does a an Icelander bust through that? Like, that takes a lot of patience, and I think that you'd have to do it with something like a, a, a Frost Hex sort of vice Eternal strategy, something like that, but you never know, because at the same time, if you're like, all right, I popped off for, like, 28 damage, that only brought them to, what, 25? Okay. Like,
1: um, there's no there's no inevitability with that that strategy anymore, flake now that Imperial Warhorn exists. And with the remembrance, you can just like blow up the, the frost Texas. And there's yes. not a thing Iceland can do about that. Yes. That card in, in Ultim is is pretty filthy.
0: So the conversion rate being at like 50%. I I it, what's what's also worth noting about that is that I pl- I played against an Icelander in my Swiss rounds on day one. I beat an Icelander, but the Icelander that I played and beat was an Icelander is like, I'm trying something new. And I was like, all right, well, you're already dead. Like you're already dead. I don't know what to tell you. Like I'm running the right amount of A B to beat you and you're you're already dead. And like we and at the end of it, they're like, Yeah, I kinda wish I had like wounded bulls and finals fighting spirits and all this other stuff in there. I was like, it's Yeah, a
1: call, I-. For Christ's sake. People have this much free time to just like try something whack and different. I'm, I'm impressed, really.
0: Like, <laughs> unless you live down the block and you just took a you took like Good a God. three dollar Uber to get there. Like, I in my opinion, if I'm hopping a plane and going there, you best believe that I'm trying to yeah. actually if
1: daddy's gonna get a whole pass to like leave the family and, and go and play a tournament, then you best believe I'm gonna try and spike the heck out of it and make it worth my while. <sighs> yeah. So you I know I- what's messed up, Lake. You know what's messed up very quickly. Day two is nine ultims. Five out of nine of those convert to top eight. Five out of nine Oldham's convert to top eight. Like this data to me is just irrefutable.
0: Well, the irrefutable is a good point. I mean, it's a, like, it's, it's, it's different when you're sort of taking it from um like. A bird's eye perspective of looking at all the events, all the pro quests and everything, and saying, "Wow, it's quite a nice little mix." But when it comes down to what matters, once you take the ring to Mordor, it's all Oldums. Like that's what it is. The Eagles aren't going to help you at this point. It's ice all day long, and and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Unfortunately, I don't think that we're approaching a a situation where you know maybe by the end of the year one of these two will make it through and and bust into living legend. But at the moment, what is going to change? The next ban and restriction announcement. I think is in like a month or two like but it's not going to affect i don't think it's going to affect it might affect pro tour i think it's going to affect pro tour if there is one but like you have to sort of step wildly here or lightly here because briar was this the talk of the town moving into this tournament people were like well briar's just going to ll anyways like briar's going to win this event and briar had one appearance in the top eight and did absolutely dick all
1: you have to be an incredibly good Briar player. Uh, it turns out it was an incredibly good Briar player that made it into the top eight, uh, and they ran afoul of their worst matchup. I think that Icelandic, uh matchup is really hard. You have to pitch stack really effectively, uh, I've noticed with that Briar list, because if you have dreams of like really leaving a dent in an Oldham for example, in your first cycle, forget about it. Nathan Crawford had to pitch stack a double uh, force of nature turn. Uh, in order to actually put Oldham in like a dangerous life situation. And then of course there there was the sort of the inevitability with the with the loop he had. So I mean we just took away theoretically two of Oldham's most powerful tools. Right. We just took away Winners Wire. We just took away hypothermia, which are, and let's be honest, very, very powerful cards. Now Oldham cannot threaten that extra disruption if he wants to chip in for, you know, for four or or three damage that next turn. And he's still very, very powerful. I think this you know, makes that more aggressive hold him slant just a little bit harder to pull off in general. You might see it sometimes in the Icelander matchups, right? I think Lucas Oswald is a good example of someone who was like trying to pressure Hamilton very aggressively with a lot of these large attacks uh, for much of the game and it got very, very close in the end. Mate, it's, it's bonkers to me that the deck was as powerful as it was and we were like, oh yeah, okay, we'll nerf it uh, and then it's still able to perform this well. I think that says a lot more about the way or what fatigue is as a playstyle. Uh, then it does about Oldham's specific tools because I think personally fatigue demands the opposing player to be very good to understand exactly what's going on to understand how pitch stacking works. And if you're playing a deck that doesn't sort of pitch stack, you need to think about maintaining threat density, right? If you have a, if you have a tutor tutor effects in your deck, then, then you're thinking about just keeping good cards in your deck and trying to get the the very squeeze as much value as you can out of every single point of damage, which is hard when these Oldhams now have access to like eighteen. Life game, three sigil, three blessing us, plus like multiple cycles of hard to find them. Uh, it's pretty mental.
0: It's, it's nasty. And like you mentioned, it's, it's a matter of also how do you convert on these and keep it under the 50 minute sort of time limit you need to trust not only your own familiarity with the deck but you need to understand that if you're going into round 1 with somebody who has no effing clue what the hell they're doing where they're taking 30 to 60 seconds to sort of parse out how they're going to block uh, an ice hammer or or any hammer at that rate like a titan's fist like you're t- you're hitting them with a titan's tickle for three it's not really that big of a deal but they're thinking they're they're like absolutely miserable about which three block card they're going to throw in front of it like at yeah. a certain point you got to think like dude like we we gotta we gotta figure this out like i take seven minutes out of the chess clock we're at 45 minutes into the round like you gotta yeah. figure this out
1: well derek brought that up i think uh last week on isp saying that like you know this uh, this deck is the only one that forces you to change play differently between swiss and top eight uh with, with sort of you know untime rounds and that's quite true like i'm curious to see uh you know it was a pretty high conversion rate from a lot of these older players. There are plenty of reasonable flesh and blood players that realize when their goose is cooked and even if the game's not over, like they it will concede from uh, a inevitable losing position. Um, most of the time, they will do that. let your name's John Ho, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's, that was quite the story. But um, you know, most players get what is going on. Uh, and if they don't know how to pitch tackle set up for that sort of you know scenario, then they probably should just scoop and move on.
0: Well, this is the world we live in now. Um, yep. And there's the massive complaints about people saying, well, well, thank you, Brian Gottlieb, for getting rid of a tool we could have used to pay for through all this ice. I don't think it really changed. I want to hear it.
1: The mid-range decks are, are unaffected and still have the the, the same issues. I mean, mid-range is like, is bad in flesh and blood right now well this uh, i don't want, i don't want to hear about it from the aggro players man like just get over yourself
0: I, I think that there's an actual good argument to be said here and like i had this conversation at the airbnb where we we're just right. all shooting the shit about this kind of stuff and i i had mentioned i'm like this game is kind of it, it, it's wheeled itself into a position where you need to play on one end of the spectrum you have to play ultra control or you have to be hyper aggro i i said i don't think that mid-range is ever gonna have a a shot like it just it's if you're just kind of putting eggs in various baskets you're not really doubling down on anything and you're you're kind of going to fall short in either way and then uh charmer actually mentioned he's like well the hamilton list is as close to a true mid-range deck as there is and it is the best deck in the format and i conceded i said you're absolutely right actually you know what upon thought that is true but it's also a, a list that demands a high level of skill of understanding but it just does everything so well would you agree? Like, if you, if without that list, is mid range just pure garbage?
1: Uh, no, it's not pure garbage, but decks that want to like block with a couple of cards each turn cycle have to hit above rate right consistently. Okay. Cause you need to be able to, you need to find effective ways to like walk life down or pressure your opponent with like two or three cards, which is really hard to do unless that card is, is, is wounded bull or, or something similar. Right. Or you have like these mechanisms for presenting like split sources of damage. Um, Chandler Toe who uh, I think he won a calling um, recently, won it with like a Reinhard Reinhard deck that was predicated on the same idea, right? Let us, let's get two for seven, three for seven sort of exchanges here. Let's play a mid-range game. Let's block with two cards. Let's smash with a big tree when we can uh, and find like these extra points of damage. And that was quite successful as well. So this idea exists. It's just without generics, um, it can be a little bit hard to find these cards that will consistently go above rate few. I think a great example is Viserai right now. Uh, a lot of these like new sort of six power cards have these nice added effects on them, but they really ask for you to do a lot. You have to pitch like a non-attack and an attack action card and, and you have no way to really guarantee the hits on them unless you're playing like nasty stuff like Pummel. So, you know, a lot of mid-range decks right now really heavily conform to like the three damage per card principle and I think if you can't get above that then you're probably not going to win um you know like I we, we see that with like a t- like for Durantia's a good example of that uh she's like pretty quote unquote fair numerically speaking um Bravo by the way only had one uh only one player out of like 42 that converted to day two so a lot of these quote unquote fairer these more mid-range these like you know numerically fairly straightforward lists are struggling when there's so many other decks that either go above rate Will force you to play the game differently like you know with this fatigue strategy prior obviously we know the kind of deck where you can go above rate you draw extra cards fire the same sort of thing you have to be breaking this paradigm pretty consistently to to have a deck that is really shining in this format and that's why like i mean i, I you know dash reina bravo dory viserai katsu even lexi to some degree they're all solidly like very middling decks that is very hard to break into a top eight of a kind of field like this against if you're spiking You're probably not playing a mid-range deck right now. The Bravo situation actually kind of caught me big time off guard. That
0: was the one I was actually thinking about putting it through. One of the people that had a, one of the better showings, you said like one made day two or something like yeah. that. Only one. That's ridiculous. Only one Bravo made day two. Uh, Charmer actually had a chance. I think he lost the winning in to actually make it to day two. I think he was like four and two going into round seven and unfortunately lost. He also bumped into Majin Bay on the way. So like, let's get real. <laughs> like you're, you're putting, getting put through the wizard buzzsaw on the way there. Yep. Uh, one of those bravos, uh, in round seven, um, I've never been to prison, but I feel like I have been, uh, I know what it feels like to be welcomed in there, uh, because the, the absolute solid bodily abuse that I got on my round seven. So big ups to Ashley Briggs, who made me an, a, a a poster child for abuse of uh, for elder abuse because oldham got spanked my round seven and i mentioned this and and keep in mind i this isn't salt this isn't being angry this is me being in absolute awe it's like if you're in a room and someone farts it's 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 like it's like oh dude come on but if mm-hmm. it's magnificent you're like oh ooh. That's pretty. Like, I'm glad I was here for this. A little
1: pot- potpourri kind of like, but like know, it's something a little bit extra. The know.
0: game was essential. The game was essentially. I think I went first. I think I swung my hammer, my sledge, and then the game proceeded to be uh, dominated, crippling crush, dominated, crippling crush, dominated, spinal, dominated, crippling crush, dominated, pulverize. Uh, then I had a reprieve. I could catch my breath. Okay, I got show timed into a into a hammer for them to get the pulverize into a dominated pulverize that was my like there was a crowd and it was like watching a public execution and they're all like yay and i'm just like dude i was a passenger i was a spectator in my own murder and i literally said like okay like i don't know what to do somebody give me some chalk to just trace my body here like this is where it went down i got it was magnificent but when you look at Bravo from that perspective, you're like, how can you lose? And then there was only one Bravo that made it through. So who are beating up the Bravos? The meta is so fascinating because it just ends up being a matter of disruption seems to be king because that's what Oldham does between Ice Reacts and Pummels and on-hit crush effects and and um, Wizard and and uh, Icelander doing things like, okay, you have a plan, but we're going to gum it up with um, with... You know, instant speed frostbites at the most awkward times, yeah it's
1: uh I like, you know, and like who's who's killing bravo is is a good question uh, because obviously, like at face of it, a lot of people felt pretty good about the the list coming coming in. um you know, I think that like I don't know what that Icelander matchup is like, it's probably not great. Uh, the dash matchup is horrendous, even with a smashing good time tech that you see Bravo's like it is man like forget about it i think it's pretty um it's pretty debated i think like what the this the dromai bravo matchup sort of looks like here i will also say that um you know in the first round of coverage we 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 co- we saw a bravo game uh i i forget like who the bravo is the bravo was playing as someone pretty well known and like it was like not it was like not close uh the bravo is like consistently trading down on every turn cycle so just looked pretty bad um, I think like in the and the five versus Bravo matchup as well. Like a lot of Fives, they they tech in, and if there's ever any term when they have to worry about disruption, they usually have they have access to like three sync below in the standard list, like the Rutkowski list that we normally see. So, um, you know, uh, Fires can navigate that matchup to to some degree. But I had a few locals here. SoCal is fucking teaming with Guardi. I don't know what it is, mate. Everyone's a fucking Bravo. It's, it's mental. I just, god it just breaks my balls. Uh, and a lot of them were very surprised. They were like, oh, you know, if I was there, kind of thing. But um the consensus here is that you know like bravo is still fairly well positioned um but again i i wonder like how many run afoul of like the Icelander uh, situations because i always kind of felt that like bravo and oldham like you experienced was, was decent oldham doesn't exactly have the ability to to sort of disrupt bravo um whereas bravo can just sort of go hog wild and yeah when he gets tempo and if he has back-to-back bravo activations just yeah it's bad it's really, it's just really bad news <laughs>
0: No, there was. I made it into the headlines the next day. It's like yeah. murder in Indianapolis. I,
1: mean, I play the matchup frequently, is Dorinthia, because it's fucking SoCal and I had to deal with that. And if I slip up once, if I like mess up a turn cycle and like don't get tempo when I need it, I will get folded by Bravo.
0: Yeah, your laundry. Like it's forget it. Like you get rinsed, absolutely rinsed and folded in short order. Um, I do want to mention one of these things that. Makes Majin Bay one of the most amazing human beings in the world because this guy, what people don't understand, like when I say that, like the world needs to watch out for Majin Bay, um, he he's no joke. Like in other bigger spheres, card game spheres, like Runeterra, I would argue Runeterra's player base is bigger than Flesh and Blood's player, ba- player base. Yeah. He yeah. is a god um, amongst Runeterra people. Uh, he is an, a frequent world or ladder number one player. He's just like, he's a, a big deal. He comes yeah. over here in his spare time, picks up a car a, a hero because he likes to and I quote, I just want to play a hero that draws cards. So Kano mm-hmm. it was and now this. And just goes through it, but the the majesty that is majin bay is that majin bay is all about just having fun like he doesn't sweat it too hard he just wants to go he doesn't sweat the losses they do kind of follow him and haunt him a little bit but he knows that he's a good player and that he'll have other opportunities but what made it hilarious to me was that on sunday we wanted to go out for a really nice dinner so we got reservations when the only time we could for a 10 spot at a really nice steakhouse called saint elmo which is like apparently world famous or at least it is to people who have heard of it i guess we had a 10 spot and he we're like well option a is the the, um, the reservations were at four and we're like option a is you don't make it in the top eight and you'll you get to come with us like we got a spot reserved for you option b is you're doing really well you're in the top eight and you're not going to make it because i think um round one began or the top eight began at like two thirty p.m or something like that so like you yeah. stick to
1: I feel like they didn't take a huge break in between the end of Swiss. Like it felt like the I mean, remember Ethan saying on stream like, "Oh, they're actually starting a bit quicker." So, props to them. I didn't have to sit around and wait for it. But yeah, about two thirty.
0: Yeah, so we're like, "Well, dude, like it's win-win for you. Like either you you scrub out, which sucks, but you come out and have a great dinner with a lot of great people, or you're doing well and then, dude, like who cares about dinner?" And Majin Bay, being Majin Bay, wins round the top eight and is like. Kind of upset because he wanted to come out for dinner and hang out with us.
1: He beat Tarek Patel, by the way, and he's disappointed. Beats
0: Tariq yeah. Patel. Again, for all of you who think that this guy is just a net decker, like, get real. You guys are absolute donkeys if you think that. Um, he comes up to us and it's, and floats the idea of conceding the top four so he could come out to dinner with us because he's like, kind of really want to have a good dinner. And it's like. In that yeah. Margin Bay delivery, and we're like, "You fucking idiot!"
1: It's, you're dealing with someone who has tasted no shortage of success. I think in his competitive endeavors, and probably feels like he can take or leave at this point. Now, I am, I am guessing because I wasn't there myself, but uh, that's the only way I could figure out that he's rating a stake higher than that a top two berth at a calling.
0: Well, he was a little bit upset because, like, I think the worst thing possibly happened is that he he lost in the top four, uh, and messaged us. And we had filled that slot for 10. And it was like a really nice restaurant. It's not one of those places where you can try to pull up a chair and, you know. No, yeah, yeah, I you get can't, it. You can't roll that. We were already
1: pushing. We so got no him. chicken dinner and no steak dinner is what you're saying.
0: Bingo. Exactly. I so the I worst thing possibly happened, which was he lost in the, court, in the uh, semifinals. But the guy's an absolute legend. And, you know, in the grand scheme of this game, I think when they're writing down, like, who are the top 50 players ever to play the game, if he just needs – one he he will win a calling i am yep. as soon as michael hamilton decides that he has enough freaking hardware and money he and michael like michael hamilton's wife needs to get involved here for the sake of the fucking game like tell yeah. tell him not he's not allowed we to need go. The,
1: we need the whole pass to get revoked at oh some point, yeah you know i mean oh my god uh, yeah it's pretty I, oh here's what i think um the the human version of lling is that Hamilton. Gets gets an offer he can't refuse from LSS, has to go work for them and then is not allowed to play in callings. That's uh, that's how I see it going.
0: Well, know? how else are we gonna win fucking tournaments? This guy just yeah. the guy hasn't lost a, a sanctioned game, I think, in I don't know, like it
1: feels like two years. It's yeah, I will say that like he's a great ex- he obviously quit his job to pursue flesh and blood, and I, I I mean I've got to imagine this is why I really enjoy listening to sorry, this is a mild tangent, but I enjoy listening to Michael because he has no ego about him whatsoever. He's the per- honestly he's the perfect poster child for for flesh and blood competition because of his his demeanor is just fantastic. Um, you know, Nick Butcher, feel free to take notes, mate. Um, but he and he spends like tens of hours a week, like full time learning this game. And you get to hear him speak frequently on his podcast alongside Rogers. So Uh, really valuable if you uh, want to check out i know we're we're, you know we're no free promotion but oh you can go to the mnr podcast listen to because the guy is he he has he doesn't have a ton to say but what he does say is loaded with meaning
0: he's he he doesn't mince words he's very kind of he's like a sniper it's like one shot one kill with what he wants to say but he's also like michael Hamilton is one of the nicest dudes which is why when he won this this is the meme that got birthed in the car. We were driving back from dinner. It was myself uh, and Blevins. John Blevins were in the backseat of Carolina Alvarado's car. Uh, we shared the backseat with a mannequin because why the fuck not? Because
1: uh, it- Ah, for the cosplay ride. Or? Jesus Christ Apparently.
0: I yeah but it was a mannequin yeah. with like bloody arms and stuff it looked like we okay. were going to a fun house it was weird and uh, <sighs> Jacob Bertrand was in the um, in the the other seat and we we're just talking about it about how he is the guy and I said, I'm like, yeah, this is a guy. I said, he's such a goat. I bet you there's a bunch of like Make-A-Wish kids on their deathbed that asked to meet him before they die. And then he just shows up like John Cena, like doing Make-A-Wish visits, which then became him being the angel of death. I said, Michael Hamilton sure. is the angel of death because he's the last thing that these poor kids see before <laughs> they
1: die. And Blevins- can't see you already come up when you're sat next to a bloody mannequin just quietly. Well, I
0: know, I, but we were also in traffic because uh, I was in America and there was a shooting at the mall that we were parked in true story but we didn't hear about yeah so exactly like we got the full experience um but the funny part about it was that Blevins says yeah but it's not that the kid just dies it's that Michael Hamilton pulls the plug because he's a stone cold killer and then that turned into a bunch of things where it was Blevins and I in the back of the car just pulling out random scenarios and sayings like he was Steven Seagal or something or like an or it was like an Arnold movie where he's like oh, I guess you're not gonna make day two there bud and then pulls the plug and things like that because he's so soft spoken and we're like yeah he is the angel of death like that yeah. is who he is
1: yeah uh, I mean I, I just see him like it's like the meme where like the reapers visiting the doors uh, of like and, like esports teams use it all the time. But I just like see like all, all these callings, right? And he's just like going in there and just uh, sweeping them and coming out with it. I think he's um I think he's the first player across two thousand uh, constructed elo, and I don't think that that is going to be matched. He's at nineteen seventy two, but it hasn't been updated, so I think that yeah that would send him uh, north of two thousand elo, which is actually astonishing. The next closest is Viet Pham at nineteen oh eight. Hundred elo, to gain just cleanly gain hundred elo, is very very difficult because quite often you're losing more than you gain at that point. That is absolutely freakish. I you know I don't know if we'll ever see uh, anyone else sort of reach that that total. Looks like it's
0: another 0-3 drop for you there, kid, and then just <laughs> pulls the plug on him, like, which doesn't make sense because he's literally the nicest guy. Like yeah, exactly. He, he came exactly. to me so i'm sitting there my game uh, my game wraps up and diagonally from me at the table was roger wearing a mask and he's like flake it's nice to meet you and i didn't recognize him because again everyone's wearing masks and you know sometimes you just you don't see people and he's like oh it's me it's roger i'm like oh it's nice to meet you he's like do you know who i am i said yeah you're michael hamilton's butler (laughs) and and, and then michael (laughs) hamilton literally shows up and credit to michael hamilton who again oh is like god. the guy is a is a god walking amongst peasants like that's who he is right and he and he's like michael hamilton's like hey hey, flake how's it going i'm like good he's like so what do you think of the bands like how do you like the you know like losing winter's Whale? i'm like you really give a fuck what i think i am i am an ant man like you are galactus and i am a, i am a speck i am cosmic dust and you are here to ask my it's like
1: fa- it's, it's not like how he sees thank the you wolf, though it's not how he sees the world at all, I don't no. think.
0: No, it's true. Uh, I guess. Um, until he's <laughs> visiting the palliative care unit.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, sure, yeah, but it's a different that everyone's dust, yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh
0: oh, looks like awakening's still banned for you there, bud. <laughs> like the I point.
1: I couldn't, I don't know. I just couldn't ask for like a, a better representative for the game, I think, at the at the top level. There are like a lot of great names in like the, the top ten. Let's just take Elo, for example. I will say that we have some people that love to talk a bit of shit, you know. And I think it's, you know it's funny i enjoy a bit of smack talk you know like matt folks like you know ripping up some deadlifts being like oh yeah most of my opponents are gonna weigh this much like i'm, I'm okay like come on you know like fuck, it. all right okay yeah um you know so i'm glad that you know we i love a bit of trash talk maybe not from our number one uh undisputed player so yeah big shout out to michael for being a great role model and a great representative for for our gamers we're gonna we look we look to continue to grow flesh and blood globally
0: well that, and that's why i said i'm like he's like the john cena yeah. of this of this sport because he just wins consistently and he's a really nice guy. And also because he visit he has more make-a-wish visits than anyone else in the in the world or will have at the end of it. But uh, it's funny you should say because having these types of people at the top of the of the Elo rankings and having personalities and finally coming to learn more about them and hearing them speak and such like that like that's where i want a nick butcher and a matt Folks to come in and play the heel role and like matt yeah. like nick nick butcher is somebody who i've spoken to a lot and what's funny to me is like nick butcher was kind of like talking shit about goliath gauntlet and whatnot where he's like oh who gives talking about this tournament and cheating in this tournament, whatever. Meanwhile, I like, I'm like, here's the screenshot of my DMs. Yeah. Yeah, The the screenshots in my DMs where he's asking to do casting for it. And I know he's playing a role. It's Nick Butcher (laughs) and he is fearless. And I love the guy because we talk, I've spoken to him privately and he's a really nice guy, but man, does nobody plays the role better than him. It's like, yeah.
1: What happens when someone decides to like return fire? Like no one, no one, I, I I've seen some of the interactions. No one bothers to like To to fire back at Nick, like at some point, like someone's going to be like, "Hang on, big fella!" Like, (laughs) but let's sort of like, so he's fortunate because his targets that he's selecting are generally pretty good-natured folk so far. We'll see if that remains to be the case. So eventually, someone's going to get fed up with this kind of smack talk. Yeah. uh, yeah. Undertaker
0: meme of like Nick Nick Butcher saying stuff, and then it's just it's just freaking Michael Hamilton behind him, just being like, "Heard you've been talking some smack there, kid," and then just. Pause the plug owners entirely. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I'm from esports, so I, I, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of heels, a lot of like true born heels, a lot of people that are trying to be heels. Uh, I won't reveal which one I think Nick Butcher is, but uh, I can say that like there's a place for them, but there's also a time, you know, there's a time and place for for, for this kind of stuff here. So, you know, I would just say that it can be fun. Uh, you definitely need to be uh, a certain type of person, though, to be able to really own it. So uh, oh. I like having personalities. This is kind of the reason why we try to like help them shine a little bit, I guess. And like, I think a lot of flesh and blood content, we got some pretty, you know, you know, some flesh and blood content creators with strong personalities, which I think is, I think is good. I don't think we need drama necessarily. I don't know if that's that real, you know, we really need that because at the end of the day, it's like a, it's a community. Uh, you know, I think it runs a little bit counter to the idea of like, you know, trying to have drama and, you know, have all this sort of division and shit talk, but I don't, that, that that's i mean this is a bit of a tangent by the way as we're talking about personality oh right? that's fine you know, dude yeah we're sort of contrasting him to, to to hamilton a little bit there but you know i want to build stars like my the way i see my role in flesh and blood going forward is like helping tell stories or like helping create stories or helping create the fertile ground for stories to be planted sprout told whatever you like so um you know i think so far i'm really enjoying sort of or the last year, or I think I've only been playing for about a year. Uh, mid ever, mid everfest is when I started, so it's been a it's been a good ride so far.
0: Oh, it's definitely been a great it's been a great ride. Um, but also, like kind of like when I preface this before we even started recording, I said, "Dude, there's no notes." Like, you know, uh, have you been on camera before? Are you familiar with microphones? All right, we'll figure it out.
1: <laughs> uh, I- but I guess this is actually there was like, uh, yeah, that's like a question I get a fair bit from people. Just I wanted to talk about the drama in in flesh and blood stuff. Oh it's great. But on. there's
0: but there's drama that is is centered around players winning and losing in the actual environment of a tournament and then there's drama that Sort of bubbles up based on bullshit and people who want to get ahead by clawing over <laughs> others, like that. That's also part of it. Like, yeah. uh, like here, this is this is one of the questions that I was going to ask in the go again segment, but we're on the f-ing tangent, and I think it's worth talking about. Where I said, is drama good for the game, and what kind of you know drama and and stuff like that would you want to see created? And I think that <laughs> I I like you. I want to create and and enhance a narrative that is sort of already you know, planting roots within the trajectory of the player's success in their program, uh, their progress through a tournament. But having their personality go through, trust me, I know I, you know, within the esports world, it is incredibly difficult to find somebody with a personality who is not just has a personality, but who is willing to sort of put it on display within that scope. Like hockey players- You need
1: to go to the FGC or Call of Duty or maybe Rainbow Six as where you might find it. Sure, that's right.
0: But it's out there, and what I like about Flesh and Blood is, you know, having casted Gwent for four or five years. There was one player who had a personality. The rest of them were all bland as shit, and it really made for, mm-hmm. you know, awful, awful anything outside of the tournament. Like as soon as the match started and ended, that was the that was the crux of it. In Flesh and Blood, I find that there's so much more stuff that happens on the sidelines. Uh, stuff that sort of develops afterward um you know people like nick butcher that kind of call out the bullshit that they see people like uh matt folks who put out the videos and whatever like when matt folks was talking about offering people coaching for for uh like physical fitness i believe the tweet he put out is like are you tired of looking and feeling like a giant piece of fat shit (laughs) it's like okay Uh, it's like (laughs) like All right, that's, yes. yeah. So yeah. I think we need
1: more of that. I think like, so if I've, so magic Twitter is pretty frightening to me. I'm scared of magic Twitter um, because it's like very, it's very diverse, which is not a problem. It's the polarity though that you get on either end of the spectrum, whatever spectrum you want it to be. There are like, there's a lot of like both sides. So it's like very, for me, it's very hard to like understand, like uh, uh, get a consensus Uh, from from magic twitter and then there's 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 edh plus versus like people that play modern or play like other i would consider more competitive formats please don't crucify me for that um so that's like if i look at that like i don't necessarily know if that's where we want to get to but flesh and blood is like is built around community right that's kind of the whole point um that's where competition exists in in the in the face-to-face uh so that's that's a great fertile ground for like developing narratives for me, as someone who's cast esports for about 10 years now, one of the there's, there's like a few tenets I try and stick to because you need to have some integrity when you are telling stories, right? It's really important that we don't over-editorialize things because it's quite easy for the truth to get lost. Uh, and basically, you know, if there's like an incorrect narrative that does get pushed, like it goes from person to person online and it sort of just, it, it ends up being completely bastardized, I think, from like what the crux of the narrative is that maybe you were trying to develop or or the truth. It gets a long way from the truth. And like a lot of people, maybe that are involved in said narratives, just don't have the wherewithal, the interest, the time to like tell every idiot that they've got the completely wrong idea. So a big part for me about like telling the right stories because I'm trying to partner alongside the players because I want to incentivize them to be open, to be themselves, to engage. But if you make that hard for them or make their lives hard as a result with, you know, good example is like not being a good custodian of their story, then they will be less interested in, you know, entering into that arena, into that space. And then you'll lose them. Um, you know, Overwatch, like, I think we have a problem with, um, with players being pretty afraid to, to show personality because the backlash from the community is immediate and quite severe. Um, any sort of sign of like egotism or, uh, you know, people that are talking trash. Like a lot of people don't really have the stomach for it in that community. And they are not afraid to give their feedback directly to the individual that provides it. So a lot of players that try and get a little bit spicy, have a little bit of fun with it, get cracked down on very hard by like, you know, thousands of people who just don't feel comfortable with that or don't understand it or cannot see the nuance or don't realize that it's just for show. Um, So I've always tried to like, you know, help players be that way and get out like to, to to partner with them in telling their story and like helping them sort of uh, you know project the image of themselves that they want out there uh, which is why it's really important i think to like be in touch with players and talk to them a lot because a caster um, is actually a journalist in in many ways uh, i have not been to you know i not studied journalism or anything like that but there's a lot of things that are quite similar in terms of how we tell a stories so uh, i think in flesh and blood like it's something i really want to to bring out more I have noticed a lot of people that don't have the stomach for this quote-unquote spiciness. And the wonderful thing about Twitter is that everybody gets a voice. Uh, and it, those voices are weighted mostly equally um, because of the way the platform works. So um, there are people that may be, uh, you know, their opinion may not be informed by fact, yet their opinion will be as visible as other people's to, to a degree, right? unless they're like a bot. So And represented as um, fact, and that's the problem. Right, well, there's, yeah. there's a whole lot of, you know, it's very it's very egalitarian in, in that sense, I guess, that like everyone sort of has a say, but uh yeah, it presented, so we're dealing with misinformation and a lot of stuff, so that's what I just would caution casters who want to, like, ratchet up the storytelling and, and make that happen, which is great, but, like, try and stay true to the, the truth of it, I guess, and talk to players a lot about it, and I always ask them, like, hey, if there's anything I can do for you, or if there's any way I can make it clear... Uh, you know, what your goals are, what your stance is, you know, on the game or whatever, like then then allow me to do that. Or we provide them the platform, right? Via like interviews and, 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 and podcast appearances and stuff like that. I think that's really important because not all player, not all players have an interest in like developing their own platform to deliver their message, right? But they may have a message they want to deliver or we may, you know, see a great opportunity to like personalize a uh, humanize a player and, and let people know who the face is behind the mask and all these callings and uh and it's nice to see and that's why uh, part of that is what we kind of try to
0: do with goliath gauntlet as well is bring these personalities to light and bring some of the the bigger the bigger names and the bigger personalities uh onto the big stage not just the best players yeah. but some of the the best people in in it uh i do want to say I, I want to share a quick story about what happened to peter budencic who is one of the goliath gauntlet too. Uh, competitors mm-hmm. peter budensic won the battle hardened the battle hardened is the size of it was such that there if you needed to basically if you were x1 that was not a guarantee that you were going to top eight it was xos yeah. and maybe one or two x1s were going to make it through wow. peter budencic goes 3-0 on kano goes to the bathroom number two i would imagine uh spends some time in there, leaves, on his way back to the area, notices that like Majin Bey is playing and just kind of like is sitting there or standing there like kind of watching a little bit of that match, completely oblivious to the fact that his round had begun. So Peter Budencic, finally, it it comes to the realization, oh shoot, I think my games are starting, runs to the table, didn't hear any announcements or everything because he was in the bathroom,
1: Sure.
0: Uh because he went to this pub called Kilroy's for three, and a half, three straight nights is what he told me. The, uh-huh. And they don't mess around when it comes to fried food, I'll tell you what. Um goes up, shows up, gets an IP three, narrowly pulls it out, but loses. So he's now X1. And then runs it back, squeaks in, and wins the whole damn thing. That is that is incredible to me. That is absolutely incredible to me that his, he could have actually just run the table, but his IP, his IP three was because Kilroy's uh, came back to haunt him. And then he got distracted by other games and he was yeah. just, it just didn't compute with him.
1: I, so, I mean, I love Peter. I actually, he was my second round opponent, uh, a ProQuest quest uh, here in Southern California that I played at. The only one I played at um, really, really pleasant bloke. Very good. I mean, the guy the guy plays super fast as well. You got to be careful because playing against someone like Peter who plays as quick, he was playing fire. So, you know, maybe he didn't have to tank too much, but um, playing against someone like Peter, you feel like you ought to play fast too. Um, Don't do that (laughs) because Peter can play that fast because he is extremely, extremely well practiced. I mean, he was on a whole tour. He's obviously Vegas uh, native. He came down and did like all the pro quests. And so He ended up winning that one that, that I played against him in that second round. Uh, I think we had a good game. I'm not sure if he was just being nice, but there were a few inflection points uh, for sure that we had to sort of navigate in uh, in that sort of matchup. And you know, it was a great time. But the guy is incredibly good, uh, and he loves he loves Kano, right? He obviously was one of the people that really was on to fire very early on, and you know, sniffed out the the stubby hammers stubby hammers sort of combo very quickly, uh, and has since sort of worked on that fire list and CC a lot. I think he had a tough one uh at the calling, but yeah, able to turn around. And we saw him play Kano against Hayden Dale, of course, in the Goliath corner. So big Kano fan. Obviously very powerful uh in Blitz. Uh so big shout out to him. Yeah. He's he's very he's very well liked out here. So I can attest that he's got a great reputation. He's also a really pleasant guy. So uh yeah. Good luck uh, with the rest of your uh tournaments coming up, Peter. Good luck. Yeah,
0: night. yeah. Make sure that you take some Imodium uh before you do that so you don't <laughs> accidentally get scrubbed out of a tournament. Um no, Uh, Goliath Gauntlet 2 is uh, underway currently. We're recording this on the 7th of February uh, on a Tuesday. Um, The matches will be premiering, I believe, on the Friday for the semifinals, which is going to be exciting. Um, Goliath Gauntlet 2 has, in my opinion, been as much, if not a bigger success. Again, a lot of thanks go to Kayfabe Cards for that LSS as well, as the community just in general for supporting it. What is your vision of what Goliath Gauntlet looks like beyond this like what is Goliath gauntlet 3 and what is Goliath gauntlet you know 10 hypothetically
1: yeah yeah so i think um i'm happy with the foundation we've laid i think with these first couple you know goliath gauntlets it is very much a labor of love like it's not you know it's it's you know volunteer exercise for us this time around i'm happy to say that because the kfab cards getting involved i no longer have to pay to run the goliath gauntlet which is awesome. All- <laughs> <laughs> um so that that's great it, it really gets to be a sort of hobby um, I think that, you know, there are flaws to an invitational system uh, and Flesh and Blood is the game that's built on this kind of idea that anybody can can qualify for these big events. So we're pretty mindful that as we increase the the pricing, as we try and provide greater incentive for players to compete, we also are acknowledging that it's not like anybody can make it in there and that might eventually become like a bit of a, a sore spot for the wider community. So we're, we're thinking about, you know, the format constantly instead of reassessing it i think we really want it to be an entertainment product first uh and then you know we want to make sure it's worthwhile for our competitors that's like number one and two i think for uh you know in in either order of what's important to us about the goliath gauntlet um flesh and blood content on 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 youtube is is stepping up in a big way the last year has been great i think for content on on the space like a lot of our uh, sort of more endemic content creators have remained and they've really leveled up their work. And we've seen a lot of other people start to add to that, which I think is going to be huge for the growth of the game uh, as well as for like the average player's understanding of Flesh and Blood. So the overall level I think is is going to increase as a result of that. Um, we're thinking of ways like increasing the, the production value. Um, so, you know, I, I think we'd like to find more ways to bring the players' personalities out. That's like the the thing I'm thinking about a lot lately um, getting some interviews uh, with players, getting like, you know, an opportunity sitting down with them before the tournament starts, uh, throw them some questions, try and get their like a post-match interview from the winner, things like that. Things of, you know, ways to get the player in because we do want to star build, but right now we're only leveraging the, the, the player's ability, which is important, but it's not the whole thing. We invite these content creators, these big personalities alongside a celebrated sort of and well-known competitors. So... I'm definitely thinking about okay, do we have the opportunity here to expand on how we're like you know exposing these people to the the flesh and blood world? So that's definitely uh, something that I'm thinking about a lot. I think that like the idea of one day getting our Goliath going in like a live setting would be kind of sick. Um, like small scale venue, think like a bar kind of environment with like feature match setup, and we just run it over the course of the day. It's like an invitation and You know, we that everyone's going to be in the room and, you know, we can have them come up and grab the mic and talk and guest cast and and sort of shoot like a bunch of other segments. I think that'd be really cool. Um, Definitely further down the track and it's, you know, something, again, you know, we just basically, we get sponsorship to fund the pricing for this uh, and then we, you know, we just go and do it. So I'd love to find a way to like, you know, pay our producer mark, for example, for the the sort of work that he does and uh, stuff like that. And then honestly, lastly, there's, like, a bunch of players from different, some more more far-flung countries that I'd love to get involved. Uh, we we acknowledge, right, that, you know, it's very, like, U.S. heavy, U.S. and Canada to some degree. Um, Europe has, like, a ton of incredible players, and so does Asia. So, like, I'd love to, you know, bring in, you know, players like Xing Sang and, like, a lot of the, the the Hong Kong crew who've really, uh, you know, that's a region that doesn't get to be explored that much, but it's got some fantastic players. There's, like, Fuad Omar, who I think was, like, top eight uh you know at at worlds um you know guys from like germany if we can from taiwan and, and and you know some more players from europe in general so we'll work on that um but it's it's logistically obviously there's like a time zone difference a lot of the time and our ability to like show the players play space depends on the hardware they have so you know we don't always have as much control of that as we'd like but yeah there you go not exactly uh not exactly a brief version, but I don't know if you have anything to add because I'm, you know, you're just as much a part of this as I am, Flake, and we're always thinking about what we can do better.
0: Well, one of the names that I said, and I think I even I, I went above the sort of the three-headed monster that is you myself and tannin when it comes to goliath gauntlet i went up a- above you guys or i i circumvented our little discussion and i literally just said to dagan white i said dagan you've got to be in goliath gauntlet 3 this is a guy uh, a player who is so quiet and soft-spoken he looks i said i'm like you're like an anime character with porcelain skin but this like you, like you just are such a silent killer all not quite to the um you know to the angel of death sort of category that he's Michael Hamilton. no he's I, not but this this is somebody who is a day to guarantee every single time i think he's like a top 5 player in the world in he's, he's,
1: he's number 5 he's top 3 in us
0: yeah. yeah it's it's ridiculous and this is somebody who i would really like to see play uh because he's also just somebody who shrugs off his losses um publicly at least i don't know how he commiserates with them on his own you know silently but it's somebody who is so confident and um but it's just again a really nice person but there's also other content creators and other people in the space that i really want to get involved as well uh but again it's difficult and this is what people need to understand is that there are thousands of players there are hundreds of notable players and there is only 16 that we can fit per tournament every three or four months like it's it's difficult to get it done. And I've heard a lot of you know, criticism that is fair, that we're, we're not, there are certain players that should be features that are not. And it's just oftentimes a matter of time, a matter of capabilities of these players. And ultimately, I think as we progress, more and more people are seeing that Goliath Gauntlet is not just a fun little weekend thing that we put together. We really put our heart and soul into it. And yeah. we're hoping that when we do Goliath Gauntlet 3... And have shown that, hey, this is not just a flash in the pan. We did it twice now. That players who really want to do it are going to be the ones who are like, okay, like, what do I need? Do I need a, a webcam setup? Do I need this? Do I need that? And whatever. Because those are the logistical restraints that oftentimes just say, like, there are people who are like, can you? Like, we don't say, do you want to first? It's like, can you? Is this yeah. something that you're able to do? And because we know that everybody wants to or a lot of people want That was want the red
1: to. flag for us, right? When we first started planning this. Oh, we yeah. We were like. This is like the make or break, whether or not we can get the players' play space, like, shown adequately. And you'll see the first Goliath God has some, like, pretty wacky ones. Like, one of them looks like two two corners of a cube. Like, you know, we we had a lot of kinks to work out, and we're still working on that. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, like we need it to be watchable, right? It's an entertainment product first. So people don't uh, know
0: that the first time that we did this, that there was a almost 50, 50 split in terms of, do we do this on tabletop simulator or do we do it with webcams? And I'm so glad that we did it the way we did, because if this was on tabletop simulator, I don't think that anyone would have given two Fs about this. Frankly,
1: y- you're right. Um There is a, like, you know, I watch a lot of co- that kind of content, right? There's a lot of tabletop simulator content on YouTube, but it's not, it's not, it's not compelling. Uh, I think it's also important that we like, we demonstrate the product, right? Uh, you know, this is something that we are trying to partner with Legend Story Studios and they have partnered with us by providing incredible pricing, uh and also like, you know, marketing support. So for us, it's like, you know, we want to show their product their game pieces um, when we can, and, uh, you know, I think, or well, it also allows like opportunities like people like Mara Farris, for example, who is an alter artist uh, to show her work uh, and multiple players uh, actually have, you know, have pieces of hers that we've seen even like her, her Frostbite tokens for example. So um, I think that there's a lot of self-expression that comes from play area. I don't know about you but my play mat is like Dorinthia and anime Dorinthia and an anime Surf and, and Surf Etched, right? It's one of the uh, paper collective ones you get off Etsy. Like I love that stuff. I love like You know, my game pieces and stuff, I always love to try and, like, you know, sort of bling them out a little bit. So, yeah, yeah, it'll probably always be webcam, right? But ideally, one day we can, yeah, we can create, like, a feature match area and have it done in person. I think that's probably the ultimate goal. But we want to demonstrate that, like, this can be a a fixture of the flesh and blood world um, and keep using it to supplement the storytelling that comes out of big events. That's the thing. Are the most important thing for us
0: well sometimes you just want to distract your opponent with some giant anime titties while you're fusing a force of nature i mean let's get real <laughs> like it's it's totally part of it like whatever advantage you need you
1: take hey, it listen. we haven't had red zone rogue in this one i don't know <laughs> <what> he <played laughs> yeah. Clash, Not a, he right was now, in right? the first one uh yep. kellen was in and he was a very well behaved player matt big shout out to kellen thank you we don't listen
0: i, I i'm not here to to pass judgment. Okay. I'm just saying no, that. we just
1: need to not get the, de- you know, like demonetized. Well,
0: at, <laughs> at some point, like we might be dipping into like Leonardo DiCaprio territory and that might be some spooky stuff. <laughs> oh
1: God, I saw you tweeting about that. Hey, oh yeah <laughs> oy, oy, oy.
0: Ooh, All right. Um that does it. That does it for this episode. We do have the go again segment, which is a, a tier two plus Patreon exclusive. Uh, our good friend Mitch Leslie is going to go off the rails, and we're going to get a little bit more into the weeds about stuff. And you guys I get can to swear right. You, oh, you already
1: have you douchebag. Oh, you'll bleep that. No, I'm sure you'll bleep that. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Uh, like I, th- this, this one for me felt different because. It's a different. It's a different experience when I'm talking with like a, a a close friend like you, where we can just shoot the shit, and it's a different story. Where like yeah, yeah, the yeah. show notes were guidelines. It's basically it's the lines painted <laughs> on the road. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, well they do matter. <laughs> don't, 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 don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't listen to me. Um, but like when I have a guest that I is like fairly new onto the show i'm a, obviously
1: a little bit more so we'll see how mark produces up this up a little bit.
0: yeah <laughs> we'll see how uh, how mark uh, mark does this one
1: it's like advocating for absolute traffic chaos yeah like yeah. um yeah like the streets of bangkok that's uh, whack. precisely
0: up, right? have you guys as if you're out there and you've played f0 for super nintendo you know that you could just bounce it off the rails it's no big deal like it's all good
1: <laughs> it was like the, yeah like partnering with partnering with the uh, calcutta uh, traffic commission here yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah. love that uh, yeah where you're dodging um, you know a, a, an ox
1: Rickshaws and yeah uh, elves and yeah love that
0: uh, all right well uh, Uber I don't think people need to know where you're at but uh, by all means if you want to give your coordinates before we get into the nasty stuff
1: yeah yeah sure uh you'll find me uh, on the goliath Gauntlet, uh, youtube.com slash nine eight three media um one of my favorite things to be a part of in a, in, in general actually um sort of uh, it has been great Twitter uh, I'm uber on Twitter you'll also find me waiting for an offer from LSS to cast their pro tour I'll hopefully see you there
0: fingers are crossed that's a whole journey that we uh we navigated through so we're happy about that uh, I can happily announce nothing I don't think I can so we're not going to uh <laughs> <laughs> until pen, until pens to paper I'm not going to say anything that I'm not supposed to. Good, good idea. Good yeah, idea. very good idea. But um yeah, um, I'm I'm <clears throat> still very much somebody who adores casting flesh and blood and I want to cast I will cast every event that is reasonably offered to me. That is that is a true statement. But friends, thank reasonably
1: you. reasonably offered, let's just that's the offer. Reasonably Offered, correct.
0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you so much for uh, watching and listening to the Instant Speed podcast. To our sponsors at Kayfabe Cards, we love you so much. Uh, and big shout-out, obviously, to Majin Behu who top Ford. At The Calling, and to Peter Prudensic of both of uh, Kayfabe Cards for their awesome performances this weekend and obviously to bcw supplies use the code isp10 at the checkout get 10 percent off all your orders at bcwsupplies.com and to our patrons if you're not a patron please go check us out for as little as a dollar a month you could support me and lord knows i need it because therapy is not cheap friends uh we love you dearly don't forget you're not losing if you're learning see you next time well,